if you found page 118, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18. The coming of the Lord. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. These words are of our Lord. My brief this week is to give some answers, and I underline some, some answers from this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 to the question, what will happen when Jesus Christ returns? And next week, Mark will address the complementary question, how should we as Christians prepare for that day? Now, if you'd like a fuller treatment of any of those themes, there are books I can recommend. Do come and see me after the service uh, for those who've got the time and uh, will to read. There are several on the bookstore which are a tremendous help on these themes. So what will happen when Jesus Christ returns? Let's pray before we think more about that. We've just sung, the greatest glory will be ours to own when he comes to take us home. Father, help us, even in the brief time we have this morning from this passage in 1 Thessalonians, to grasp that life here on earth as for us as Christians, is, is just the beginning of something greater and fuller and more wonderful. Speak to us, we pray, by your Spirit, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like us to begin by looking at the very beginning of Paul's letter, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 where the Apostle Paul gives perhaps one of the fullest and briefest summaries in the whole of the New Testament on what it means to be a Christian. So let me read uh, what he writes. He's heard from others. He doesn't even need to consult with the Christians in Thessalonica. Verse 9, others tell us, they tell 
how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. What he tells us here are three things that are absolutely crucial to our understanding of what it means to be a Christian in any day, in any place. First, says Paul, he or she is someone who's made a decisive break with idols. Secondly, a Christian is someone who loves and serves the true and living God. And thirdly, and this perhaps is a bit of a surprise for us, thirdly, a Christian is someone who waits with expectation and hope for the return of Jesus Christ. Now, the third one has somehow got eclipsed in the contemporary church in the West. And if perhaps we have difficulty with understanding the historic fact of Christ's return, it will happen one day. It may be because we haven't really been aware of what it means to turn from idols or we're unsure or even apologetic about our love and service of the one true God. I need to flag that up because Paul links these three things together in a logical and complete description of what it means to be a Christian. And across the ages, this is the gospel message that's been proclaimed. This is the work of mission, and it's about turning, it's about serving, and it's about waiting. I'd even say it's the heartbeat of Christian mission. This is what, over the ages, people have gone out into the wider world from places like the United Kingdom to tell others about. These are our fundamental Christian convictions. But, then and now, they're put to the test by the realities of life and death. Let me explain a bit further. If we're to understand the turning and the serving and the waiting, we need to recognize not just we today, but then in Thessalonica, people had questions about what this meant. A contemporary example that comes to mind in central Nigeria, some of you may know of the amazing area, Plateau State, which is on the intersection between the predominantly Muslim north and the largely Christian south. And the Anglican Archbishop there, Ben Kwashi, has seen phenomenal growth in the church beyond anything that we could imagine. And they've also seen hundreds and hundreds of Christians targeted. I stress that because it puts the experiences 
of the last few days in Europe in a different perspective. From that area alone, hundreds of people have been kidnapped because they're Christians, and hundreds have been killed. Archbishop Ben Quash's wife has, was beaten almost to death when Islamic Boko Haram extremists raided their home. And he says this, if the extremists come for you, they won't ask if you are only a half-hearted Christian and let you go. They'll kill you anyway. So why not be wholehearted? And in being wholehearted in that context, they've seen the church grow. And to go into a service on a Sunday morning, as it once was my privilege, in that area is quite extraordinary as you see thousands of people coming together to worship God. And something of that had been the experience of the Apostle Paul in preaching the gospel in Thessalonica. There'd been not, we don't know, we're not told how many, but there'd been a, an immense response and he was thrilled to see it and get news of it later. But they still had to face the realities of life and death. He might have said to them, be wholehearted. He does in different ways in several of his letters. But what he stresses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is this. Remember, death is only temporary. Then and now, Assurance was needed about what happens when we die. Our hope, says Paul, beyond the fact that we all sooner or later die, is this. Christian believers, people like us, will not grieve as those who have no hope. We will grieve, yes, because that's part of our very human nature, the way God has made us. But we won't grieve as those who have no hope. Look at verse 13 and 14. Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now the language of sleep or falling asleep simply points to the way we as Christians are to view death. Just as sleep is followed by waking up, so death is followed by being raised in Christ. And on the day of Christ's return, no Christian will miss out. Look at verses 15 to the first part of chapter 17, of, of verse 17. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep. 
for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, I think we realize there's a use here of symbolic and apocalyptic language. Some of us even find it a difficult word to say. And this is typical of New Testament teaching about the end times. So we need to take that in our stride, and we certainly don't have time today to look into the details of what it might mean. But beyond that symbolic and apocalyptic language, got it, there are three vital things to grasp. And this is what Paul tells us they are. First of all, God will in that day when Jesus returns be revealed in all the wonder of his substance and his glory. And there's an amazing difference between the way idolatry is described in Scripture and the way God himself is described. One is weightless, the other bears all the weight of glory that God has, and that glory we shall see in the day of Christ's return. Secondly, in person, Jesus will return. And no one will make any mistake about sensing the overwhelming wonder of his greatness. And then thirdly, the Christians who've died will return with him, and those of us who are still alive will simply join them. No Christian will miss out. Can you imagine the extraordinary hope that this brief paragraph of looking ahead to what will happen within the purposes of God? Can you imagine the extraordinary hope it brought to the Christians in Thessalonica? And here's the point, of course. It should bring the same hope to us today. Even death cannot destroy the wonderful relationship we enjoy with God and with each other. That has a special poignancy for those of us who've lived and worked in different parts of the world or maybe move from the country of our birth to the United Kingdom. When we think of many people, perhaps, we'll never see again here on earth. But the day will come when we'll meet up and we'll be together in his presence. So we look to the future, not with fear, but with hope. 
And what Paul is describing in 1 Thessalonians 4, of course, is a truly cosmic event. We have to look elsewhere in Scripture to see how that teaching is fleshed out in different ways. But there's no mistaking uh, that this is something beyond any normal human experience. The return of Jesus Christ will be visible. Every eye shall see him. And the return of Jesus Christ will be personal. We'll have no doubt about what's happening. And whether we're still alive on earth, or whether we've died, we shall be united as never before in the presence of our Lord and Saviour. And so, verse 17 sums it up pretty well. After that, after this great event, says Paul, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Just think about that. That day is not the end, but the beginning. And it's small wonder that Paul adds, as if we needed the reminder, encourage each other with these words. Let's pray. Father, there's so much in Scripture about the return of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, that we don't fully understand. But Paul spells it out so directly and so simply in this passage. Help us at least, as we think and meditate on these words, to be strengthened in our daily walk and to be encouraged so that we in turn can bring encouragement to others who face the challenges of life and death without Christ. So wake us up. Help us to be wholehearted and help us to look forward to an eternity with you and with multitudes of others who know and love you. Amen.